Authenticity is an elusive concept that hasn't been well understood. Well, since humans have been trying to understand it, which seems like it's been forever. Authenticity, or being true to the self, which is a common interpretation, has shown up in a variety of disciplines, including religion, philosophy, literature, psychology, and now even business when we think about authentic leaders. During this episode, my intention is to share a grounded definition of authenticity that anchors all of the concepts and ideas that I'll share in the future. So that way, when I use the word authenticity, you know exactly what I'm referring to. It's important to also share that how I'm defining authenticity encompasses both theoretical and practical applications. The lenses that I intend to describe are one, similarly described in prior research literature, especially Lehman et al., who wrote a comprehensive research article titled Authenticity in the Academy of Management Annals in 2019, two, my own scholarly research, and three, my own understanding through practice and reflection. Okay, so to start, when it comes to authenticity, we have to consider who or what is being deemed authentic and who is the determinant of whether someone or something is authentic. I know that sounds a little bit complex, but I promise I'll explain it to him in more detail later. There are three different lenses or descriptors of authenticity, what I call individual authenticity, collective authenticity, and manifested authenticity. Let's break each of these down. Individual authenticity is what we often use to describe whether a person is authentic. As humans, on an individual level, there are two mechanisms that in conjunction determine one's level of authenticity. First, there's an internal mechanism of thoughts, values, and beliefs. Because it's internal, obviously no one else can see them. In fact, we may be conscious or unconscious of aspects of our own thoughts, values, and beliefs. In simpler terms, there are parts of ourselves that we may or may not be aware of. The second mechanism are our actions and behaviors. These aspects are all external, and they're visible to ourselves and to others. These two mechanisms, which are always working in concert, create the expression of who we are at any given moment. These mechanisms also tell us something about our individual authenticity. So let's break this down. The more aligned our thoughts, values, and beliefs are to our actions and behaviors, the more authentic we feel. The further apart they are, the less authentic we feel. Think about it. When you fully express who you are in any given moment, there's joy, excitement, even a sense of freedom. And when we feel like we can't express who we are and our actions or behaviors don't match up to what we're thinking, how do you feel then? You might feel small, diminished, or even untrue. And these mechanisms are constantly a part of us. We're always thinking, we're always believing, we're always experiencing, we're even just being. And since this is constant, my conclusion is that we are always authentic all the time. However, I like to think of authenticity as a continuum. On one end, you have lower authenticity, and on another end, you have higher authenticity. The level, if you will, of alignment between our thoughts, values, and beliefs, and our actions and behaviors shifts and changes as we move from one context to the next. So our interpretation and perception of the environment is a factor in how authentic we feel. Does that make sense? Let me share a quick example. So I started my career in a credit card call center. I was 20 years old. I was working full-time and going to school full-time. You know, I was just trying to make it on my own. So in this first corporate job, I remember the professional level of our customer service reps. We were in these long aisles in the call center, and at the end of every aisle, you had manager cubes. And I remember sitting back and just listening to the buzz of the call center. 
And all of my counterparts, they were always so meticulous and so careful about the things that they said, always sounded super professional, even in their casual conversation once they got off the calls. But as I started to socialize with them and started to hang out with them outside of work, I noticed how different they were. They were much more loose. They cursed. They made fun of each other. They clearly weren't feeling as constrained. And so throughout my career, people were always feeling like they had to be someone else at work. And once you see them outside of work, they appear to be different. So which version is authentic? Aren't both of them? And where they are in that continuum is up to the individual to determine for themselves. And here's why that's important. Let's say you have two people, me and you. When you perceive me, you are only perceiving my actions and behaviors, the external aspects of my expression. You have no access to my internal thoughts, values, and beliefs unless I choose to share them with you. But that's a different story, right? My point is, if you're observing me, you can't possibly know in its fullness my full level of authenticity. A very wise colleague of mine once used an analogy that people tend to compare other people's outsides to their own insides. And I just simply thought that was brilliant. And it happens to describe the problem with trying to determine another person's level of authenticity. You can only compare my actions and behaviors to your own thoughts, values, and beliefs. That's all you have access to. So as a result, I'm the only one who can determine my level of authenticity. And that is based on my own level of awareness. Well, I guess I can't call my own level of understanding profound, but it seems like a profound concept. But when I first became aware of this understanding, it was truly a revelation. Now let's move on to another lens to view authenticity. Collective authenticity begins to describe the level of authenticity of a group. Similar to individuals, groups also have shared thoughts, values, and beliefs, which are essentially aggregated, right? And based on that collective agreement, if you will, there is an expectation of conformity, which ties to how you are expected to act or behave. So think about the last time you worked on a team for an extended period of time. That whole process of forming, storming, norming, and performing leads towards this, what I'll call collective identity of what it means to be a part of that particular group. There's a quote-unquote authenticity, if you will, to that. Are you conforming to the group or not? And the same is true with your family. We put expectations around what it means to be a member of a particular family. This is how we do things, right? We often hear that. This is how we treat one another. This is how we express love. This is how we resolve problems. Again, the family has its own level of authenticity to what it means to be a member of that particular family. Now, here's where it gets interesting. When being a member of a team or a family, who determines the level of authenticity? Am I authentically a member of my family? Because collective authenticity is based on an individual's conformity to a larger collective, the answer to the question is, Dun-dun-dun-dun. The members of the group, or in this case, the members of the family. They determine whether I'm authentic to the family or not. Why? Because they determine whether I'm conforming or in alignment with the values and beliefs and expected actions and behaviors of that collective family. And this is where our experience of human beings gets super tricky. If you think about how many groups you are a part of, just think of any label that you can assign to yourself. I usually lose count after about 10, but... I'm African-American, male, Gen Xer, though sometimes I feel like a millennial. I'm a brother, a father, a friend, a leader, a confidant, a coach, a consultant, a meditator. You get where I'm going. All of these labels represent groups that I'm a part of, and their interpretation and meanings can be quite fluid. 
And if my association level of authenticity with these groups is determined by other members of the group, that creates a real dilemma with how I view my own individual level of authenticity. I pose it as we experience life and move from our association from one context to another, or specifically from one group to another, many of us are in constant tension about how we think we need to be or how we need to show up. That's partly because of who we perceive as the judge. Am I determining how I need to be or is someone else? And this is the essence of why we feel limited. As we assess other members of various groups, we often don't give people the permission to be who they truly are. It's all because of how we've established these limiting parameters about what it means to be associated with that label or with that group. The beauty in this paradox, though, is that it's socially constructed, which means that it can be changed. All right, so let's move into our third lens of authenticity, which I call manifested authenticity. And I use the term manifested because this type of authenticity comes in the form of something physical and its relationship to something else. Think things. And there are a few things that I'm passionate about. And one thing that I'm passionate about are cars. I specifically love Porsches or Porsches, if you pronounce it correctly. And I believe the Porsche 911 is one of the most beautiful cars in the world. Its integration of superior engineering and technology with inspirational design creates a level of balance that reminds me, quite frankly, of a work of art. And another passion of mine is good food. So let's take a look at how manifested authenticity relates in these two contexts. What makes a Porsche 911 an authentic Porsche 911? Well, the simple answer is that the automobile manufacturer Porsche, which is a part of the Volkswagen Group, produces and manufactures the car. The more complex answer is that the idea of the Porsche 911 was born that idea gained momentum, which led to designs and technical specifications. Teams were formed who supported that idea. Processes were created that supported the idea. And over time, the Porsche 911 was essentially birthed. The key thing about the manifestation is that it is the outcome of thoughts and intentions essentially gaining momentum. So everything leading up to the Porsche 911 being created is uniquely authentic in its relationship to the car. That's the final product. What I mean by that is if you got a group of designers or engineers from another automobile manufacturer, you're not going to get the same car. The same is true with replacement parts. Consumers pay a premium for quote-unquote authenticity. We see this all the time when it comes to authentic goods or rare works of art. It's the relationship to the origin that often commands a premium. So if I want to buy a pre-owned Porsche 911 and it has a bunch of replacement parts that are not from Porsche or non-original, I would pay less because I'm determining it to be a less authentic version of a Porsche 911. Which leads me to who determines the level of authenticity. Well, a car can't determine its own level of authenticity, right? So it has to be a third party. And usually when it comes to manifested authenticity in things, whoever is determining the level of authenticity of said thing has some sort of domain expertise that they're relying upon. Think appraisers of art or classic cars a watch aficionado, a food expert. All of them are responsible for determining how authentic something is. They have a level of credibility based on their experience and expertise, and we simply, we empower them that way. I wouldn't expect, if you think about the car example, right? I wouldn't expect any Joe Blow off the street to be able to look at a pre-owned Porsche 911 and understand whether that car has 100% original parts. It takes an expert to do that. The same is true with determining authentic cuisine. 
We rely on the expertise of others to tell us whether a certain dish is authentic, Tex-Mex or Northern Italian or soul food. It's all driven by expertise or a level of intimate knowledge or experience that gives the determiner some level of understanding or credibility that qualifies them. I struggle with using the term credibility because I think we often use it to qualify someone. And in some scenarios, it resonates with me, while in others, it has the potential to create some limiting beliefs. But that's another topic for another day. I feel like I'm kind of rambling on. So back to authenticity. Just to recap, there are three different authenticity lenses. Individual authenticity, collective authenticity, and manifested authenticity. Individual authenticity is understood by the relationship between two mechanisms. We're talking about our internal thoughts, values, and beliefs, and our external actions and behaviors. The more aligned they are, the higher our perceived level of authenticity. When there's a feeling of misalignment, we experience lower levels of authenticity. Individual authenticity is unique to human beings, and the determiner of the level of human beings' authenticity is the experiencer themselves. Only I can tell you how authentic I feel, and it's only based on the parts of myself that I'm aware of. Collective authenticity is related to groups who, like individuals, have thoughts, values, beliefs, actions, and behaviors. However, they are shared at the collective level, and the collective creates its own level of authenticity. And to conform to the group means that your individual authenticity is in alignment with the collective authenticity of the group. To clarify, this alignment doesn't mean that we share everything 100% the same, but there's enough sharing and alignment that we choose to be associated with that particular collective. The determiner of authenticity, in this case, is a member of the group and not the experiencer. This potential disconnect of really being true to the self, which characterizes individual authenticity, and conforming to socially constructed collective authenticity creates tension. Manifested authenticity pertains to things. It's the relationship between the ideas and intentions that lead to an outcome of something manifested. There's a certain level of truth when going from idea to intention to manifestation. This explains authenticity in things like cars, watches, luxury goods, and cuisine. In commerce, consumers tend to pay a premium for authentic goods and services. The determiner of authenticity is an outside source who usually has a level of expertise or intimate knowledge about the thing that is being evaluated as authentic. Well, these are three foundational lens of authenticity that I'll use throughout our time together. We'll cover a broad array of topics, with most of them focusing on how we experience life as humans and the things that get in the way of us being our most authentic selves. We'll also dive into business topics such as increasing authenticity in leaders and organizations and how that influences organizational performance. I look forward to sharing more real soon, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, I am, I am, I am, I am.